You can train with blank ammunition. You can use dummy demolitions. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you're diving, that's real water. Hi, I'm Captain Adam Morton with the Canadian Army Podcast. And this episode is going to be about the combat divers, which is a specialty under the combat engineers. Joining me from Gagetown from the Canadian Forces School of Military Engineering is Captain Connor Hunterfoth. And he's going to talk to us about his experiences as a combat diver. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I joined in 2011, uh, where I went to the Royal Military College of Canada. I uh, did my university there and was you know, training over the summer. I ended up graduating in 2015 with a degree in civil engineering. Uh, from there, I spent about a year in Gagetown, New Brunswick, doing my uh, trade qualification training to become a, a combat engineering officer. Uh, after some fun in the, the rain in Gagetown, I got posted out to uh, one combat engineer regiment in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. I was there for about three years, and I got to do a range of stuff from being a field troop commander, uh, armored troop commander, uh, and as well as an armored squadron operations officer. And then during my time there is when I actually did my combat diver course, and so I got to do a lot of the, uh, that kind of related training. Uh, after I finished up my time at 1CR, I was posted back to Gagetown at the school, as you mentioned, and for the past couple of years, I've been working as the officer in charge of the Army Dive Center. It's funny, when we were first talking about uh, setting up a podcast about combat divers, there was a big discussion on, like, what does that have to do with the Army and all that stuff? So can you explain a little bit how combat diver falls into kind of the Army sphere as opposed to maybe the Navy or somewhere else? I think to understand that, you know, really understand the picture that uh, combat engineers do. Um, and so the, the kind of the elevator pitch for the combat engineers is that we ensure friendly forces can live, move, and fight on the battlefield uh, while denying the same to the enemy. Was also the secondary duty as fighting as infantry. Um, so really a combat diver, you are a subspecialty within the combat engineers, and your job is to take all of that but move it in and under the water. Uh, so where we might differ from uh, some of the Navy different diving uh, specialties is that we primarily work within inland waterways, so rivers and lakes. The Navy clearance divers are the diving experts in the forces. Um, so as far as a lot of safety direction in that, we'll, we'll follow from them. And we do, especially with a combat diver course every year, we'll use the same facilities uh, as the clearance divers out in uh, outside of Halifax there. So it is an important relationship for us to maintain. What kind of training goes into being a combat diver and what do you look for in terms of candidates for that task? The first step is to become trade qualified uh, as a combat engineer. And then once you actually get posted to uh, a regiment, uh, every year they run our, our selection program for the dive course and we call the prelims. Uh, now, the prelims, there's not a super strict uh, standard for each of them, but they do cover the same material, and they're typically about a week long. And they're really, you know, physically and mentally intensive, as well as we're looking to see if people kind of have the aptitude to understand all the physiology and physics and some of the calculations that go into diving and dive tables. And really from there, what you're looking for is, is people that are that physically and mentally fit, uh, that can work as a team, uh, they'd be able to work independently. Because when you're underwater, it's pretty much you and your diving buddy. And uh, you need to be able to sort out things yourself because there's uh, so much more difficulties with tasks underwater as far as, you know, having your equipment, uh, reduced visibility. And if you aren't able to kind of handle those stresses and be able to think on your feet, um, it's going to be very difficult for you to, to do that job. Uh, once you're actually selected from the prelim uh, and your training command supports you going, you come out to New Brunswick to the Army Dive Center where I'm currently working. And that's where we run the, the dive course. Uh, that's uh, about three months long, and it's kind of split between New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. We get a dive outside of Halifax, which is a lot of fun. 
Uh, and that's co that covers the whole gambit of all the different tasks and equipment and that we use. Uh, so once the divers complete that training, certain leaders, if you have uh, certain qualifications and you're, you show the aptitude for it, you can then be selected to go on the combat diver supervisor course. And that's about a month long. And that's where we train our supervisors to actually lead and plan dive tasks. And there's a big emphasis on, on safety and managing all the risks associated with diving. What are some of the hazards that exist in, in that environment that people might not think of? Well, I, I think the, I mean, everyone's aware of the water, um, but it's something that uh, yeah. you, know, you might appreciate is that, uh, you know, after the first 10 meters of depth, uh, you actually doubled the amount of pressure on you from surface level. Uh, so with that shallower depth, it really is kind of actually the more, most dangerous transition period. Because as you go deeper, while the, the overall pressure is greater, uh, the actual change gets smaller and smaller. Um, and so especially as combat divers, I mean, we, we typically dive uh, no deeper than 15 meters with a maximum of 30. Uh, so people might kind of wave that off as being, hey, it's just shallow water. Um, but when you consider that kind of doubling of the pressure, it is something to keep in mind that uh, the, the risk factors are there. I think it's something to keep in mind with our training as well is that you can train with blank ammunition, you can use dummy demolitions, uh, but at the end of the day when you're diving, that's real water and that's real risk associated with it. Yeah, that's a good point. And how does that combine well with the risks of military operations? Like, you know, from a military standpoint, what kind of risks exist? Uh, so you can take it, uh, I mean, really any challenge as a combat engineer, if you are going to yeah, have to breach an enemy obstacle, for example, um, if you're doing that in the water, you have to deal with the lack of visibility. Uh, you have to deal with I mean, the cold the cold temperatures. Uh, so it's, it makes everything with a job that much harder. I think just from a, a broader perspective of the military, you know, anything we do has risks associated with it. And so it's just a matter of being able to anticipate what you can and train for that, as, as well as enable ourselves to be able to think and act on our feet there to deal with the things we didn't anticipate. You know, that's one thing that I think uh, people don't give a lot of consideration to is, you know, somebody might be listening and be like, oh, yeah, I like diving and it's not really that bad. But one of the things is you get to pick your operating environment. If you want to dive and you look outside and it's garbage, you're just like, no, nah, I'm not going to go. Whereas in the whole idea with military operations is that those factors, although considered as part of the planning process, you're going like it's got to happen for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. They're like this isn't diving off Mexico where it's, you know, great visibility and coral reefs and colorful fish and that. We're diving in like dark, cold water. Um, and it's not just a fun dive either. If you're working with different equipment like lifting bags or different types of tools and that, there, there can be a lot going on. Um, and it's definitely need to be uh, on your feet or on your fins, really. Yeah, it kind of makes me think also like if you're going to tie that to the kind of the infantry world, people are like, oh, yeah, walking in the woods is great. But, you know, most infantry people find themselves walking through swamps, which is the the bad version of that. So you face that similarly where it's not all pretty fish and stuff like that. It's actually usually probably the worst places that nobody would actually want to be anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. And you got to look at the context you're doing it, too. It's not just to go for a stroll in the woods and then come back home and relax. I mean, you're. You're going to be working these hard tasks, then maybe you're sleeping on the ground, and then you're going back and doing it again. Uh, so it definitely takes a, a lot of resilience there. So what do deployments look like uh, as a combat diver? Uh, so typically, there hasn't been a lot uh, in recent times. That's just a, just kind of the nature of the tasks that we were doing overseas. Probably the most recent one was we actually sent a dive team down to assist uh, with aid to civil power for Hurricane Katrina victims. That's probably the most likely thing you'd, you'd see as an actual dive team employing. I guess like some specialties in the military, it's one of those things where you don't necessarily apply it very often, but 
it's one of those things that you have to maintain that skill set because it's a complex skill set and you can't just make combat divers when you need them. So you have to kind of maintain that experience. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not just like riding a bike that you can you know, hop on and go back and do it. Um, I don't like, I mean, diving itself isn't rocket science, uh, but when you incorporate all the different type of tasks you might be doing, uh, it is a skill that you need to practice and rehearse. What led you specifically into becoming a combat diver? Did you have a, a background in that before or like what caught your interest in that particular task? I did a little bit of diving on my own in, in the civilian world. It was something I had fun with, but it wasn't, you know, I was super passionate about. But what really attracted me to combat diving was the, like the challenge of it, as well as getting to work in those kind of smaller intimate teams uh, where it's... Uh, like I mentioned before, kind of that self-reliance where if you're underwater there, you it's you and your dive partner for the most part, and you need to be able to kind of figure out and tackle that problem as you go. So talk to us a little bit about the exercises and training. Uh, like most army units and specialties, uh, you have an annual exercise. In your case, uh, I like the tongue-in-cheek name of Roguish Buoy or Roguish Boy. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Roguish Boy is probably the the big thing that we look forward to every year. Um, and it's an international exercise hosted by us. It's been run in BC, in New Brunswick, and Quebec. Uh, it rotates every year. And we'll invite international participation from across NATO. So we'll have the uh, United States, United Kingdom, France, Belgium, Germany, just tons of different partners. Um, that's a really exciting opportunity for us because, one, it's all the Canadian dive teams coming together, as well as we have all our international partners. And some of them, diving is their full-time job. So they bring a, a greater expertise and a breadth of experience to it that we can really learn a lot from. And what kind of things happened on that exercise? Like, what do you actually do? Uh, so I think the simplest way to think of it is it's on a three-year rotation where we have a focus on our close support tasks. So that's kind of the more green army thing. Uh, think of obstacle breaching and building, using demolitions, providing kind of a terminal guidance for like landing craft or other boats. The other year would be a, a more of a general support, and that's kind of your more typical engineering tasks where we're looking at using our hydraulic tools, maybe some lifting equipment, kind of providing support that would could be provided to uh, battle spaces in general, not just as one specific unit. Um, and then finally, it would be ice diving, and that's usually the what we'll do in New Brunswick or Quebec, and that that can be a lot of fun because that is itself is a is a pretty taxing job uh, working in such cold environments. You're getting under the water. And it's not freezing, but it's pretty much a, a one or two degrees Celsius, and that can be fun in its own right. Can you describe a little bit more in detail what obstacle breaching looks like for maybe somebody who doesn't know what that is? So typically, if we want to go somewhere and we're fighting an opposition that uh, doesn't want us to take that path, uh, they'll, they can put obstacles in the way. Uh, that might look like minefields. It could be wire fences, uh, concrete blocks, any number of things. And so we might find for whatever mission that, hey, like we want to take this path to cross vehicles or personnel. And if those obstacles are in the water, uh, that's something that a combat diver could really help with. We have a number of different methods we can use to breach, whether it be explosives, using hand tools, hydraulic tools. Um, and so really depending on what the mission requires and kind of the time sense we're under, we can employ any of those things. What other types of specialized equipment do you use as part of this trade? Uh, so some of the cool stuff, or the stuff I find more interesting is uh, specifically like lifting bags. I mean, there's a lot of uh, the stuff that we use as combat divers that any combat engineer would. So whether that, you know, be, for example, be uh, explosives or like metal cutting torches, uh, we, we use those on land and in the water. Uh, but kind of uh, something that comes unique to working in the waters, if uh, say we were doing some kind of larger wet gap crossing and uh, a vehicle gets tipped over and, and sinks to the bottom of the lake or river or whatever, 
that's really something where we can come in as uh, divers and actually recover that vehicle. Uh, so there's different things like lifting bags um, and some other methods we can use to actually recover uh, vehicles like that. And there's actually quite a bit that gets into conducting that task because if it's safe, it's a muddy bottom, you have to deal with the suction effect and how to you know, safely lift the vehicle up without just having it rocket to the surface, potentially hurting someone or dropping the vehicle again. So it's one of those kind of unique challenges that uh, I really like, like about diving. When you're talking about lifting bags, it's kind of like the concept of filling a, a sunken ship with ping pong balls or something like that to bring it to the surface. Is that correct? Exactly, yeah. There's different styles of bags and sizes and that, and we'd bring them down deflated. Um, you connect them to different lifting points or you can use straps to whatever you're trying to recover. And then we'll actually have a, a tank with us with compressed air in it that we use to fill the bag and lift it up. That's pretty cool. Do you have any uh, good stories about experiences you had while uh, working as a combat diver? Yeah, it'd be plenty. We'll see what I can actually talk about. Um, <laughs> I think one of my uh, f- funniest uh, memories is during our during my dive course, one of the you know more challenging stations or whatever the training they had us do is that everyone load up in our inflatable boats and ripped us out into the ocean outside the Halifax Harbor. And then they pretty much told us all to jump in the water. We were wearing wetsuits and fins. And they just said, all right, swim back to uh, swim back to the jetty. You know, that was kilometers away. That had been hours of swimming. And it's kind of one of those challenges they put you at to try to see how you cope with it. Um, and so instead of it, you know, us kind of breaking down and scrambling and getting exhausted, we all ended up actually, a group of 20 of us on course there, uh, kind of got in our backs, linked arms, and started kicking. And we were singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall uh, just as we were swimming along. And, you know, kind of really taking what should have been this, you know, demoralizing event. And we just turned it into something fun. Yeah, you know, and that's one of those uh, reoccurring themes, you know, like if you look at army training as a whole is that growth through shared hardships, right? You're you're all facing these sometimes horrible experiences together, and it's like working together as a team to just kind of make it a little bit better. If everything gels and everything comes together and you have a good group of people and everything's nice, then uh, even those horrible experiences can sometimes come out as being pretty good and you talk about them later. Yeah, it's all about how you, I think you reframe any challenge and you can uh, turn a potentially negative experience into something that helps you grow and become stronger. So if somebody's listening right now, what would you say to them if they wanted to become a combat diver? What, like, what advice would you give to them? I'd say do it. But really, it's, it requires a lot of physical and mental preparation. When you're underwater, you'll usually be diving with a dive partner, but if something goes wrong, it's very easy for kind of that panic to set in. Uh, so you think that's something you need to build in your confidence with yourself and your ability to handle these hardships. Uh, and I think it's it's also an awesome opportunity because you because of the challenging nature of the work and the courses and all of our training, it really attracts, I think, really motivated people. Those are the people I like to work with. I would also remember to be humble because combat diving is not special forces. It's not, you know, sneaking out of the water in the middle of the night deep behind enemy lines to go do squirrely stuff. You are a combat engineer that has a pretty awesome extra skill set. And I think that really summarizes uh, some of the Army experience in a nutshell right there as well. Well, thanks so much for coming out. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you for having me. That was Captain Connor Hunterfoth from the Canadian Forces School of Military Engineering. All right, safety brief time. It's making its way up the chain of command, and like generals are talking about this at O Groups, that a lot of troops are being hurt on motorcycles. I ride, it's awesome, it's tons of fun, but take care of yourselves. Deputy Commander of the Army made a comment to the extent that we hire people with an attitude of invincibility. When Charlie team needs to take the trench, we need people to not be afraid and face bullets, but that's not an excuse for being risky on the road. Wear all the gear all the time, and if you don't ride, keep an eye out for motorcycles and make sure that people get home safe. 
That's all I'm asking. Stay safe out there. Orton out.